I am so glad that you're here. Happy Father's Day to you dads. Hey, do, um, can we just uh, have the dad, if you're a dad, right, can we just, we're just going to ask you to stand up. We're just going to thank you for being the kind of dad and prayerfully grow to be the kind of dad. Praise God for you. Dad, stay standing, stay standing. Let me just tell you this before we start the sermon. Absolutely. Watch this. Watch this. Here's a true statistic. Here's a true statistic. The difference between 90%, 90% of the boys in Rikers Island, 90% had either absentee dads or no dad at all. Like, in other words, the dad was there, but it didn't, like, really pay attention to him. and didn't, you know, or no, no, not over 90%. Um, uh, uh, and stay standing because I need you to feel that. Now watch this. Uh, fo- uh, not focus on the... Um, prison fellowship. They did this thing on Mother's Day where they had uh, guys in prison write Mother's Day cards. And they supplied the cards. They supplied the stamps. They supplied everything. Right? And so they, they ran out of cards. It's just everybody wanted to write one and you know some guys were writing so much it was two cards they just ran out of cards right they said it went so well we'll do it on father's day five why dads matter dads really matter don't believe the lie don't believe the lie women don't believe the lie that you know your boy doesn't need a man that your boy doesn't need a father and if you have no father and you're here I love that God calls himself, one of the names that he represents himself, Father. He can be a father. If you've never had a father and you don't know how to be a father to your kids, look at God. He's a father to the fatherless. And so, um, I love you guys. I'm going to pray a, a, a prayer of blessing over you and then we'll get started. Okay, Father, I pray for these men, Lord, that they not think it's too late. It's never too late to be a father. Father, that you would use them help them, give them love and patience and guidance to draw their children to yourself. It's never too late for that. And so, Father, I pray that you anoint them and that you help them, that you remind them of your fatherhood in their lives, and that they would grow closer to you. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for being dads. Now, um, we would have gifts for you um, but it's Father's Day, not Mother's Day. So nobody ever thinks to get gifts for the guys. That's cool. All right, let's get going. So um, we've got an, a really messy sermon today. Okay, it's going to be messy. Is that okay if it's messy? It's going to be a, like a really messy sermon, but I think that God is going to do something great in your life. So I feel a desperate need to pray for myself I also feel a great need for you to track along with me. So we're going to pray that God help us throughout this talk to draw closer to himself and to know Jesus. Watch this. Because we want to get to know Jesus better. It's the Jesus we never knew. And hopefully we'll be able to be introduced to him in a new and fresh way today. So would you pray with me again? Let's pray. Father, you are a gracious and holy God in how we need you, how I need you. Father, I pray, oh God, I know that there are some here who just came here right after an argument or came here during an argument. There are some men who treated their wives harshly, some women who disrespected their husbands, some children who who disgraced their parents or some parents who overreacted to their children. Whatever it is, Lord, these are all distractions that Satan would give so that we might be focused on your message. Father, 
I do thank you for being here with us. I know that you are great and awesome. And so, Lord, we take our focus from us, ourselves, our families, our things, and we change our focus to your greatness, your beauty, your wonder. We can truly say, Father knows best. Because we have a heavenly Father that knows what's best for us. And so we glorify you. We lift up your name. Father, we come before you as people who have not lived perfect, who have sinned before you, and yet, Lord, who have who can experience your forgiveness. Lord, for those here who have already received Jesus Christ, I pray that you would help them to see themselves as they are in you truly. And Lord, for those here who have not yet received Jesus, who have just been toying with Jesus, who have just been sort of in and out with Jesus, Lord, I pray that they take the great sacrifice that was made for them seriously. We thank you, O God, for the great redemption and the And the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf, one we did not deserve. And because of it, you can look at us perfectly, sinlessly. And we're grateful for that. Lord, help us to assimilate that into our hearts today. Move in a powerful way. And above all else, let the name and the fame of Jesus go out in such a way that many, many, many would come to the kingdom of God. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Messy sermon. Okay. Um, today, we're, uh, we're in a brand new series called The Jesus I Never Knew. Everybody say that with me. The Jesus I Never Knew. Because we're going to be looking at Jesus and different aspects of who Jesus is in ways that perhaps maybe a few of you have, but in ways that maybe many of you have never seen Jesus. We want to grow deeper with Jesus. And here's, let me give you a quick recap of last week. The reason we want to do this is because, listen to me, the, and this is the big idea of last week. This is the big teaching of last week. Is that the way you view someone else will determine how close relationally you want to be with that person. Does that make sense? Right? If you have like a husband that you don't like, right, you won't want to hang out with him, right? If you got a wife who's a nag, you'll, you'll want to run away from her. Isn't that true? Like, this is a principle that we don't have to argue, right? Nobody's going to go, well, I don't know, that's just religion or something. Like, nobody's going to do that. You know that, right? Kids, if your parents irk you, you stay away from them as much as possible, right? If you have a teacher that gets on your case, you try not to go to that class. Everybody knows you don't draw close to people you don't have a deep affection for or people who you think have it out for you. And so last week we said, this is not only true in relationships with me and you, this is true in our relationship with Jesus. Now, not to be confused, Jesus saves, Jesus sanctifies, Jesus propitiates, Jesus redeems, Jesus does all the work. But, while Jesus does all of that, we can still walk around as fools and misers, saying that we don't have a good relationship with God completely fooled about our relationship with Jesus. Now, one of the ways that I think we do this the most is in an issue, and it's a sensitive subject, guys. We're going to be talking about sensitive things today. In this issue of shame and guilt. Many of us have walked in this place with a great sense of shame and guilt. I was about I don't know, 11 years old. 
And I don't know if any of you have ever had an experience like this. I was about 11 years old, and uh, there was an older a man who uh, I had known for a little while. Um, and uh, we walked into a room, and I never, ever came out the same. Something in me died that day. It was a, it was a horrible moment. I, I, I remember there was like a sound, a popping sound in my ear that was like, an, you know, like you ever heard like an electronic thing where they go, you know, like in, uh, I, uh, you know, uh, where they're making, like, you know, and they put the, like that. Well, it, it was like that for me. It was like a circuit breaker had snapped in my head. And a cloud of shame came over me to such a degree that I never shed it for decades. I went into that room and something terrible happened. Something that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Something that I wouldn't wish on you or anyone else. I bet I'm not the only one. I bet, I bet that I'm not the only one who walked into a room one day and thought everything's going to be fun or even volunteered for some stuff and said, this will be fun, this is exciting, this will be cool, and you volunteered for it. Because after that, after that, I got with my friends and there was some stuff that we volunteered for. And it added to the shame and it added to the cloud and it added to the darkness. And so I walked around in my life, throughout my life, being able to identify people according to their shoes. Because I just couldn't look people in the eye. I just couldn't look them in the face. I had this foreboding shame over me. And then I came to Christ, and I walked with that shame some more. And it crushed me. Listen to me. That shame... It reminded me when I wanted to do great things for God, you can't do great things for God. You're a shame. There's a shame over you. When I wanted to be more than I was, and, and I don't mean this in a prideful, haughty way, I mean I wanted to go to the next level with the Lord. No, no, God won't have any of that because there's shame. And you know, when you try to get to this level with God, when you try to grow in Christ, when you try to grow in grace, you know, you know, if no one else knows, listen to me, true story. I, in my heart, and I've talked to my wife about this, I don't think I've ever shared, I go, Liz, sometimes in my heart, I don't want the church to grow too much. Because I fear that people from my past will come in. And say, well, look at that guy. You know what he did in 1989? You know what he did in 1991? Some person will walk in. What is that? Shame. It's guilt. It was something that weighs so heavy on my mind that it affects some of the decisions I make. And it affects some of the people I relate to. And it affects my relationship with my kids. It affects stuff. It's the shame. And I know I'm not the only one. I know that I'm not alone in this. That some of us have experiences, some that we volunteered for, 
and some that was thrust upon us. Some that we were volunteers for and some that we were victims of. But that shame comes over us. And it weighs us down. And as we try to grow in Christ, now remember, this is all the work of Christ, but as Christ tries to grow us, there's a sense where, nah, not me. Not, not. You can't grow closer to your husband. And I know wives, that shame runs so deep. Shame runs so deep that whenever their husbands touch them, their skins crawl. Why? Husband hasn't done anything. He's a fine guy. He, you know, he works hard. He's, you know, he's a good dad. He's not perfect, but he's a, you know, good dad. He's, he's a good husband. Why is it? Why is it that when their husband touches them, and there's a sense of shame that when I think about this intimate act, I feel dirty. And it's beautiful. It's with you and your husband, and, and yet there's that shame, and it, it clouds around. Why is it that there are certain people who are bright enough, who are smart enough, who have done well, and, and who can think well, and then their promotion comes up at work, and then, and then they go, are you gonna go for the promotion? You're definitely qualified for it. And they go, uh, no. No, I like being here. I like being in this place. I like being in, I, I like this spot. I don't want to grow or go any further. What is that? What is that? Listen, listen, listen. There's a sense where that person will say, yeah, but what if I mess up and what if I get embarrassed or what if they find out I don't know what I'm doing or what if, they, what if, what if, what if, what if? What is that? What is that? What is that? Yeah, but you know, it's, it's this shame and this guilt. Some of you used to make 12-step meetings and you stopped making them. And the reason is, is because you blew it and you didn't want to go back and tell them that you had blown it. What is that? It's shame. It's guilt. It's that cloud that's over my head that only I have to describe just a little bit in order to get a deep and severe emotion from you. We all struggle with this. It's something that we all go through. It's something that we all wrestle with from time to time. Now, the good news is that God knew this about us. He knew that we would struggle with shame. He knew that there were things that would happen throughout the day, throughout the month, throughout the year, throughout the life that you would go through that would have such a scarring effect that you wouldn't need a stain remover. You would need a shame remover. God knew this about you and he knew this about me. And so, years, thousands of years before Jesus came, God wanted to show a picture of what the work the Messiah will do. Now, I want all of you to go to Leviticus chapter 16. And I know what you're saying. Oh my gosh, I just did my devotionals in Leviticus today. Maybe not. Um, (laughs) Maybe not. Leviticus 16. When you get there, now, if you open up your bulletin, if you don't have your Bibles, this is if you don't have your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles... Um, If you have your Bibles, open it up to Leviticus 16. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's the third book of the Bible. 
and I want you to go to Leviticus 16, and then I just want you to look up at me. We are going to pick around at different places of Leviticus. You want to read the whole chapter, I encourage you to go home. i got to give you some uh, background in what's going on, because otherwise you're going to be lost. Just like I just finished reading Leviticus 16, and some of you were like, huh? And some of you zoned out, and just like, okay, so I have to give you some background to make this a little bit more real um, uh, for you. Okay, first off, I, I want to say that um, the culture that the Bible uh, is written in is much, much different than the culture that we're in now. We are in a Western culture with Western thought. What that means is that we generally think linearly. We generally think logically. Here in the West, we think lists. We think organization. We think logically. Watch this. In Eastern cultures, they generally think in images and pictures. Different, different from uh, the Western culture. Now, in the East, in the Jewish uh, um, tradition, in the culture that they grew up in, and in the time that we're talking about, this culture grew up, these Jewish people grew up with seven major feasts. These feasts sort of set the calendar. You would, you would almost work your, not almost, you would work your calendar according to these feasts. There were seven feasts. This is awesome because the, God knew that there needed to be times of, of celebration and release. And you think that God is like boring? God instituted, and it's not like the parties that you have in your house where they go, you know, wow, you know, come, like if you have a party in my house, right? You know, you come in at 6, you know, the party's over around 9.30. People, you know, pretty much make their way out at 10. You clean up and then you go to bed by 10.30, right? That's the party in my house. These parties would last for 7, 8, 9, 10 days. It would be like nuts. They, I mean, they, 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 as a matter of fact, the Hebrew word for the kind of, is this. Pate. That's the Hebrew. No, it's kidding. I'm kidding. No, um, so, uh, but they would really know. They knew how to party. They knew how to get down. They knew how to celebrate, right? And But God knew, watch this, the difference between our parties and their parties is that their parties were, had some significance to them. There was no such thing as Studio 54 and church. In their mind, it was if you're going to dance, why would you dance for anything or anyone other than God? If you're going to celebrate, if you're going to work a sweat, if you're going to, if you're going to rejoice, why would you want to divorce God from that? Now, in this society, we've completely divorced the two. You go to Studio City, well, like, you know, I'm showing my age. You know, um, you go to some club, and it's different, and the society is different, and the culture is different, and it's more sexual than, than celebration. It's more sinful than it is salvation. It's none of those things. But what we do find is that God in his word would set the calendar, and it would be a fest, feast after feast after feast. Now, there, there was about seven feasts, and the... Um, uh, in fact, this is a really cool piece of trivia. The, the Hebrew word for festival, which is the seven festivals that they had throughout the year, was, listen to me, listen to me. It was the word mikra. Everybody say mikra. Mikra. Listen to me. Mikra can be translated festival. Do you know what other word it can be translated as? Rehearsal. Rehearsal. 
Isn't that interesting? You know why? Because when God made a festival, he was showing. Remember, Eastern culture different from Western culture. Western culture, linear. Eastern culture, pictures. God was trying to create images and pictures and storylines that would give you an image of something other. Something greater. Something more wonderful. That, that God is not just giving you a picture, an image of just something that he wants you to do on earth. What he wants to do is give you a picture, an image of something that resembles, is an image of something greater. And when you see the festivals, you see the blurring of the lines between heaven, heavenly realms and earthly realms. Between the things we cannot see and the things we do see. Between life as we know it now and life beyond what we know now. God creates these festivals and he creates these atmospheres to give you a little a taste of what heaven's going to be like. And isn't it interesting that God chooses festivals, parties to be able to demonstrate that. There is an image, that picture, an illustration that God is trying to get across so that you might see something that's coming, perhaps in the future, that will revolutionize your life. Now, here's our boy here. This is our first prop. Now, the priest, the priest was really, really important, right? Do you, all right, this is our, and this is our priest, our friend here, right? Isn't he cool? Don't you love him? Esther made that, and we're grateful for her. Um, and so, now, the priest, there is so much going on. Every little detail had significance. Every little detail was a picture, an image, an illustration of something greater. I'll give you a few of them. Um, like, for instance, this, and they would be different colors, different gems. This would be a breastplate that he would wear, the priest would. And the priest would wear a breastplate with all different gems representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Because priests, by the way, this is just something so that you know the difference of. It's a cool piece of trivia. Priests represent the people to God. Prophets represent God to the people. Right? So prophets are constantly telling the people about God. The priests are constantly telling the God about the people. Does that make sense? Okay. So we have a priest now. And you have a cool picture of him up there right now. And this priest with several different uh, colored jewels. He had topaz and gold and y- 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 onyx and all that other stuff, right? And so so he would have, and he would be representing all of the people. There is so, and this sash, and the way they were dressed. Listen, this was such a holy moment. This was such a holy moment that they took it so seriously. Now, the feast that we're going to talk about today start. It was well. It was. Let me give you the. It was the the new year. The new year began with this. With this. Uh, its name. You might have heard of it. It's Rosh Hashanah. Everybody say Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. That's like the new year, right? And the way uh, the Jewish people began their new year in Rosh Hashanah was with the blowing of the shofar. Right? I wish we had, we have a, a picture of a horn. And it, it looked like that, right? And, you know, the guy kind of took it and he said, 
and you know, it made this huge sound. And the reason was, it's because God wanted everyone's attention. What was about to happen now was a big deal. Now, I know I'm giving you a lot of details, but we're going somewhere with this, so I want you to track with me. Are you tracking? All right. Now, so... So this, this year began with Rosh Hashanah. It was started with the blast of the shofar. And after this, people would give them, give themselves 10 days of, there would be this period of time, this sort of 10 days of introspection, 10 days of soul searching, 10 days of checking our hearts. Ten days of examining my life and lifestyle. Ten days of looking into my heart and seeing. Because let me tell you something. If you're going to partay, if you're going to celebrate with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you better not come flippantly. You better not come like it's no big deal. This is a God we're coming before. This is the holy God of the world. And there was a sense that God put inside of us that said, this is no homeboy. This is no friend. This t-shirt would not have sold in the, in the early Jewish, Jesus is my homeboy, would not have made great dividends. Okay? It would have not sold very well. Because God wasn't a homeboy. He was holy and awe-inspiring and incredible. And if he didn't reveal himself to us, we wouldn't know anything about him. And so the Jewish people began in, in, in searching their heart in preparation for this, this fest. Yom Kippur. Say Yom Kippur with me. Yom Kippur. Now Yom Kippur was the Day of Atonement. The Day Kippur means to atone or to cover up. In other words, this was the day. This was a big deal. Let me tell you why this was a big deal. This was a big deal because God was going to deal with all your junk. All the things that you did wrong this year, God was going to handle it. God was going to cover over it. God was going to deal with it. God was going to address it. All the junk, and you would be clean before God for the next whole year. So this was a big deal. So you would, it's crazy. They actually believed that God had the power to forgive the sins of my past. Is that insane or what? Like what kind of people would believe that? (laughs) Maybe some of you. And it was in this day that God dealt with their junk and in their funk. And it's at that point we find ourselves in Leviticus 16, where God starts to talk about, now again, we can't go through the entire chapter. I'd have to speak for three or four hours, which, by the way, is a joy for me. But some of y'all have, uh, okay. All right. So, all right, we won't go there. Okay. Now, the Lord, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses After the death of the two sons of Aaron, I'm going to explain that in a second, why they died. When they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, actually, let me just stop at verse 1. When they drew near to the Lord and died. Aaron is, whenever you see the name Aaron, think either priest, just think either, it's either Aaron, actually Aaron, 
or it's the priest. If you see son of Aaron, think priesthood, priest. These are the people that represent the people to God. All right? So think priest. All right? So we got our priest here. Aaron, the priest, he, after his two sons died. Now, his two sons were priests as well. You know what happened? Is that they went before the Lord flippantly. It was like no big deal to them. It was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to church if I want to. I'm going to. And the Bible says that they came before the Lord with strange fire. In other words, they came to the Lord in a way that lacked respect and lacked awe. And they were doing all sorts of demonic things. Like, you, you, oh my gosh. If you want to hear the stuff that they were doing, I mean, Jerry Springer would blush at the stuff that they were doing. It was awful. Right? So God just said, that's it. Absolutely not. No more. And so Aaron is mourning his sons. And God has a word. For Aaron, and he speaks it through Moses. Are you tracking with me? And by the way, this is going to have huge. Remember, remember, remember. This is not all there is. These are images and pictures for them to be able to see something in the future when it gets there, and it'll be a picture for us as well. The Lord spoke to Moses after. Right, we read that verse two, and the Lord said to Moses, "Tell Aaron, your brother." Not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. Stop. Look up at me. That's a severe thing after just having heard that, you know, after just losing your two sons. But God is no joke. And God is saying, no, 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 no. You don't approach me in a flippant manner. You don't brush your teeth for this interview that you're going to and, and dress in your absolute best for this interview that you're going to and then come in your pajamas before me. No, 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 no. That's not the way we're doing it, okay? You don't comb your hair and put on your best face when you're going for an interview with an earthly authority and then come before the Lord with absolutely no reverence. We're not doing that. That's not the kind of God um, we're facing. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. The mercy seat. Okay. So I'm going to explain to you. All right. Let me explain to you the temple. Well, all right. Let me read a little bit more and then we'll explain the temple. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for the bull burnt offering. Now, I want you to look up here. I want you to see the tabernacle. Or the, te- I'm sorry, this is not the tabernacle. Yeah, yeah, it is the tabernacle. I'm sorry. And so, the tabernacle, like, if you can see it, it's kind of, you can kind of see it. You see where the, fir- I wish I had a pointer now. I almost want to run up there. Okay, the first box that you see the two guys on, can you see that? Right? The first box that you see that, that's where they sacrificed. That's where they did their burnt offerings. That's where they did their sacrifices. That's where they offered up their rams, their lambs, their bulls, and it was a bloody place, right? Okay, and then the gold piece next to it is where they, the priests would clean themselves, right? There's actual a Hebrew word for it. I wonder if I wrote it down. Um, so, they, right, and I don't have it here. It was a mikvah, that's what it was. It was a mikvah where the priest would clean himself, and then you would have this building. Now, surrounding, now remember, this is a picture. It's a picture. We're taking you somewhere. It's surrounded by... Three tribes of Israel on each side. All 12 tribes surrounded this 
um, tabernacle. Inside the tabernacle, there was a room. There is this room that was called the holy place, right? And this room had every day bread in it. And I wonder if they ever wondered, why would God want to associate himself with bread? He doesn't eat, obviously. But there was bread. And inside that room, there was lampstands. And they would, you know, you would wonder, because remember, God gave every detail. And you go, why would God want to associate himself with the lampstand? Makes you wonder when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, if he wasn't talking their language. I am the light, not of the tabernacle, of the world. Makes you wonder if this wasn't a picture of someone that was going to come later on. And so we see this, and so now watch this, in the, in the place where the, where, where the priest would wash themselves up. Listen, this was so serious that the priest would be ceremonially clean. Let me tell you the extent that they would go to. They would go to such a great extent that the, somebody would state, and this is, this is um, legend, Right, so we don't find this in the Bible, but we find this in historical thing, documents and all that other stuff. Where, where the, they would stay up with the priests. You know why they would stay up with the priests, the high priest, um, all night long, so that he wouldn't go to sleep. You know why? Because they feared if he had a nocturnal emission, right? If he had a nocturnal, he would be ceremonially unclean. So they kept them up all night. Because this was a serious deal. They also would have a wife, just in case a woman ready to marry him, just in case his wife died. So that he wouldn't have to go through being unclean. Like this was a serious, serious deal. And so after you would go and, you know, there's the the, the place where you would, you know, so there's the the altar where you would get, um, uh, give sacrifices, the mikvah where you would, uh, the priest would cleanse himself. And then it was the, into that room, which is called the tabernacle. It was huge and it was the holy place. And then inside that room, there was a great curtain, like not like the kind of curtains you have in your house. It's the kind of curtains, like, it's just like 200 pound kind of curtains, really thick, right? And so, behind the curtain was this thing called the Holy of Holies. This, that's what the room was called. And it was called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. This, watch this. God said, I want you to build this place for me. Not because I want to be in a building. Watch this. God says, because I want to reside with the people. And this holy place, this holy of holies was only approached one time throughout the year. Yom Kippur. Where everybody's junk, shame, guilt would be dealt with on that day. And so Moses said, listen, tell Aaron when he comes here, I want him to come. But not any old way. You only come once a year into the holy of holies. And I want you, when you come, to come reverently, ceremonially clean. Okay, let's keep it moving. Verse 6, jump to verse 6. Aaron shall offer the bull as sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Look up at me. You know why Aaron had to make atonement for himself? Because he had junk and funk too. 
See, Aaron was just as much full of sin as anybody else. I mean, he was the priest and he was the guy with the religious authority, but he had just as much. And God knew this and God didn't want to play this nonsense about any one leader, any one Christian, so-called Christian leader who had no sin about him and who was infallible. There's no person like that in the world. If anybody explains that to you, that there's a person in any kind of religious institution that is somehow sinless, they have deceived you. Because even in the Old Testament with the priests, God knew you guys are just as bad as everybody else. And before you come with every anybody else's junk and funk, before you come atoning for everybody else's stuff, you need to get atoned for your own. And so this priest who would go through all this process would offer a sacrifice for his own stuff. Verse 7. Then he shall take two goats and set them before the Lord to the, at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats. Go back to the picture. Now, are we seeing what's going on here? Aaron is by that box that's the altar, and that's where he's going to be sacrificing these animals, right? Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. The reason that they sacrificed animals, because everybody knew that sin demanded blood. I remember um, this uh, guy whose wife cheated on him with his friend and was asked... How are you feeling? What are you, what, what's going on through your head? He said this, I want blood. He wasn't, I mean, he didn't know he was being biblical, but it's absolutely true. Because the truth is, is that when you get hurt, when you get sinned against, when somebody, imagine, don't imagine, somebody abuses your kids in an unthinkable way, there's something in you, this demands something. This demands justice. And so, what would happen is, is that the priest would take this animal, um, take two goats on Yom Kippur. Now, this is where it gets interesting, because I need you to see this. This is where it starts to piece together. He would get these two goats. And let's read what the text says, because we just want to get deep inside this text. Verse 8. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats. That's like drawing straws, almost. Um... One lot for the Lord and the other lot for, everybody read this word with me. Azazel. Everybody read that word with me. Azazel. Now, in most other translations, NIV, King James, New American Standard, they all translate this as scapegoat. You've heard it said, right? Like you've you, you read it in, if you've ever read this, right? You've heard it said, right? Like, you know, three of y'all get in trouble at work, right? And one has more, uh, you know, culpability than the others. And he, go, and he goes, listen, I'm not your scapegoat. Right? You've heard that said, right? And then, you know, political, you know, rallies, you know, or political scandals. Somebody says, hey, listen, I'm not going to be the scapegoat in this one. Right? Or they're using Senator so-and-so as the scapegoat. Right? You've heard that, right? You know where they got that from? Right here. You didn't think you were being biblical when you were using that word. There you go. So... But the, the word is, the scapegoat, the word is Azazel. The reason that this is important is because one goat, listen to me, one goat would die. That's the goat, right? So there's one goat, right? And I don't like this goat. The reason I don't like this goat so much is because he's so cute. And he, you lose. I don't want you, now listen, I don't want y'all to give him a name. 
Alright? He's about to, you know, have all the junk and the funk of all the people around. All of your sins are about to go on this goat. All of your junk, all of your shame, all of... And so there's these two goats, right? And one goat, he gets killed, and he's for their, listen to me, propitiation of their sin. On your, um, on your sermon maps, which is where you're reading from, this should, there should be two lines. One that says propitiation. On that propitiation, I want you to write this down. I think it's on the other, it might be on the other side, I don't know. Hmm. Okay. To propitiate means to exhaust the wrath of God. Write that down. To propitiate means to exhaust the wrath of God. In other words, your sin, your shame deserves punishment. Did you know that? Did you know that? That your sin and your shame deserves punishment? That we all deserve the wrath of God for what we've done? Right? I know that we walk around in America saying, no, but I'm a good person. Compared to who? I mean, if you're comparing yourself to the guy who just robbed a couple of banks, maybe you're right, maybe you're not. If you're comparing yourself to, uh, uh, you know, Billy Graham, you don't do so well. Who are you comparing yourself to? Good person? No, you're not. No, you're not. You have motives. You have ideas. You have. We all know that, right? Like, I don't have to dig too deep into that, right? And so we all deserve the wrath of God. All of you, some of you, few of you, I don't know, recoil at that idea. And the reason is because is in America we've made ourselves God. And God has not made us in our in his image. We have made God. We have made God in ours. We want God. The only time we want the wrath of God is when someone has wronged us. Right? But when it comes to us, we don't want the wrath of God. And we don't believe in the wrath of God. The only time we believe in the wrath of God is like, you know, someone did something really, really bad, right? Someone sins really grievously against us, hurts one of a member of our family, and that's okay. That's okay. God, God will get them, right? We don't mind that, right? Like, right? Am I, am I preaching, right? Like ex-husband, right? Ex-wife, right? Yeah, you know, God will get her. Right, okay. So, so there's these two goats, and one lot is for the Lord. That one gets sacrificed as a propitiation. And the other one, listen, these are images and pictures. The other one is the for the expiation. And it's written down for you. Expiation means to remove our sins from the presence of God. Not only do our sins with this goat over here who's on the altar, right? There's this goat over here who's on the altar. He's the one who paid for our sins, who incurred the wrath of God. And by the way, how does that incur? Well, it, it has to happen by death, right? Someone got to die. Blood's got to be shed. Everybody knows that. And the other one was because, listen, this goat, the scapegoat, he's the expiator. He's the one who, expiation of our sins. He removes our sins. So even Thousands of years before Christ came, God was given a picture. I wonder if this reminds you of someone. That there would be someone who would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. But he wouldn't just stay, just sacrifice. He would go beyond that and take their shame and guilt far from them. I wonder if that reminds you of someone.
Verse 8. Uh, no, yeah, verse 8. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot uh, for the Lord and the other for the lot for the Azazel, the scapegoat. Watch this. And Azazel simply means, let me say this, to take away. Now there's like four, there's like a little controversy with what Azazel means. Some people think it's a place, some people think it's this, some people think it's that. I'm going to tell you, listen, it's real simple. Azazel means to take away, right? Azazel, remember that, remember that. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. We talked about the death of that goat. But the goat on which the lot fell for the Azazel to be taken away, away with that, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness of Azazel. Wilderness of away from here. So what would happen? This was so sacred. Watch this. They wouldn't even, tradition says that they wouldn't even allow Jews to walk this goat away. Right? You know, the Jews wouldn't walk, right? Because would you want to walk around with a goat that has all the sin and funk and junk, right? Would you want that? No, I'm not walking around with that goat. No, no, no. Let's get someone. And so what would happen is the priest would come over and then lay his hand on the Azazel and put transfer all of the sin. You know that stuff that you did when you were nine years old that you can't forgive yourself for? That stuff would be transferred to the Azazel. You know the stuff that you did just last week? You know the stuff that you watched on the internet? You know the stuff that if, if anybody found out and read it in your diary, you'd be too ashamed to ever come back to this place again? You know how you spoke to your wife that day and you still feel bad? You know how when you just cut your husband down and he just hasn't been the same since? You know, you know those moments? The priest would come over and put all the sin. The priest, the priest would, listen to me, would represent you to God. I wonder if that reminds you of anybody. And would represent not only that, but at, because he's carrying all symbolically, all the tribes of Israel would put all the sin on the Azazel, the one to be taken away. So that, listen, listen to me. So it's not a day where you're just, your sin is dealt with like, you know what? Okay, you know, God is, you know, is not going to punish me for, you know, my sin. My sin has been, you know, slaughtered. Someone has paid the price. For, you know, that, you know, I did the crime. The poor goat did the time and, you know, he got the, the punishment. But more than that, there was a new relationship that was created. One where your sin was Azazel. At least for a whole year. Verse 15. Jump down to verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat in front of the mercy seat. So he would come in and he would go back to the temple, and he would go and he would take the blood of the goat, right, that was, that was here, right? So he would put his sin on him, and then they would put like this red sash, two red cords. Now again, we're going back to tradition. They would take a red cord, right? I want you to follow this because this is a picture of something. And they would put it on the dead um, uh, uh, lamb representing the sin of the people. 
And they would also put it symbolically over the goat, representing the the shame and the guilt that was about to be taken away from them. This is a song. Listen to me. So the priest goes into, this is exciting, man. The priest goes into, and he's all by himself. You're waiting outside the gates going, I can't breathe. It's the, you know the stuff that, I, that you think about when I talk about shame? You know the stuff that you think about when I talk about, you know, you went, you didn't want it to go that far, but then it went that far and it ruined everything in your life. Like you just, you thought it was just going to be one and then you wound up stealing your mom's stereo. You thought, you thought, listen, listen, you thought that you would never get found out and then when they found out the real deal about you, they just left. Those things that you feel ashamed about. You were loyal and you were good and then they, they went with someone else and you go, what's wrong with me? Shame. He would put it on him. And then the priest, everybody would listen. As the priest went into the Holy of Holies, this is the only time in the whole year he gets to go into this room. And he sprinkles the blood. And he says, this has been paid for. 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 Listen to me. Because God was painting a picture. Because if God just says, hey, don't worry about it. Your guilt is forgiven. And your shame is removed. You go, gee, thanks, man. I'm a piece of garbage, man. I'm So God is creating this huge picture, this beautiful ceremony, festival. Thus, he shall make atonement, jump down uh, to verse 16. Thus, he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanliness. Verse 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place at the tent of meetings and the altar, he shall present the live goat. There he is. And Aaron shall lay both his hands. He's going to only do one hand today because we can't move him. Um, Both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all the transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness. Now watch this. I just, before I finish reading, could you imagine this priest? Could you imagine him putting his hand over and saying, rape, Adultery. Murder. Theft. Disobeying parents. Not being there for the ones you loved. Forgetting God. Drunkenness. He would go on. On and talk about the sins, and the people would hear it. And as the the people would hear it, it would be a solemn occasion. It would be a holy moment where the people would listen to this and just tear. That's me. That's my sin. And it's coming away from me, 
and into the Azazel. Because not only am I going to be forgiven, propitiated, I'm going to be expiated. It's the day of atonement. Now, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by hand of a man who is in readiness. This goat would then be taken away. And as the goat was taken away, a hush would go over the crowd. It's going away from me. It's going away from me. The shame, the not being able to be enough, the sin, the grief, the failure, the... And then they would get themselves ready for a party like you cannot believe. Now, a couple of things that I want to share with you, this is really, really, really important, is that this red cord that they would wrap around the goat, they would, the scapegoat, they would take it off that goat. It represented the sins of the people. Then they would put it on the altar. And as they put it on the altar, Miraculously, nobody knows how this happened. Miraculously, this cord, this circular red cord, would turn white. Nobody knows how we would do it. Either the next day or in two months. And nobody knows why. But sometime throughout that year, the historical books say that that cord turned white. You don't find this this cord anywhere in the Bible. It's in history. Unless, unless you happen to be reading Isaiah 1. And he says, Though your sins are like scarlet, I will wash you white as snow. You think Isaiah is pulling that out of the sky? You think he's pulling it out of like nowhere? No, no, no. He's like, ah. Though your sins are red, cord, I'll wash you white as snow. Mysteriously. Now, just, just as a question, anybody remember what they put on top of Jesus' head? Anybody remember what that was? A crown of? Thorns. Okay, okay, so let's follow me with, follow me with this. Because this is a picture. This is just pictures of stuff. There's something greater and more real coming. And it's coming. They would put it. Now, obviously they were sharp, right? And so they would pierce his head, would they not? What do you think that would cause around a ring of blood around his head? I want you all to jump to John. This is going to get so good. This is so cool. You're going to love this. John chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. Now, with the, what you just heard about the ceremony and what you just heard about what was going on, do you see how God was trying to make the connection? Listen, it gets better. 
Then Pilate, you know, everybody knows, Pilate brings Jesus back out to the people. He says, listen, this is the king of the Jews. What, what do you want me to do with him? I don't want to crucify him. What do you want me to do with him? And then everybody screams. What does everybody scream? Not yet. Not yet. Listen, listen, listen to what they scream. They cried out, away with him. Azazel. They cried out, Azazel, Azazel, crucify him. They didn't know what they were doing, but they were going through Yom Kippur. They didn't know that they were putting the one true living God who was sacrificing himself, not only for their guilt, not only for the sin that they committed, their propitiation, but also, Azazel. They cried out, Azazel, crucify him. He'll be two goats. He will be taken away and he will die for their sin. Now, now, with everything that we just read, with everything that we just read, I want you to now jump to Hebrews chapter 9. And I want you to see, now we're in the New Testament. I want you to jump to Hebrews chapter 9 and we're going to see something spectacular. Let me know if this is, if, if, if the writer of Hebrews is just pulling this out of the sky. Or if maybe he's pointing towards a particular thing. Let's look at this. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. Look up at me. There was a, there was a covenant, the first covenant, and it had a temple and it had a Azazel and it had a, a, a goat, a ram to be offered, right? It had all this stuff going on for it, right? It had the, it had the ceremony and the priestly garb and all these things, ten days of introspection and all this stuff. It had all of this. That was the earthly, but listen, listen to what Hebrew says. These preparations have thus, verse six, these preparations have thus been made. The priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, the things that I explained to you guys earlier before. But into the second, only the high priest goes but once a year. This is describing what I just told you. You're going to read this in a brand new way. You're never going to read Hebrews. You're never going to read the New Testament. You're never going to read any other part of the Bible again in the same way. This is powerful. But into the second, only the high priest would go. And he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, and listen to this, you're going to love this. Then through the greater and more perfect tent. Remember when we saw the tabernacle? It was a tent. It represents. No, there's a greater and more perfect tent. 
One who doesn't have bread on a table, but is the bread of life. One who doesn't have a lampstand in a corner, but is the light of the world. One who does not have a curtain, but has been torn in two. So that you might have access to God, not once a year, but every moment of every day. Your junk and your funk has been Azazel. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands this time, guys, not, not earthly, That is, not of this creation. Remember, there was something that happened earthly thousands of years ago that was an image of something that was going to happen in the heavens. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats or calves, listen, but by means of His own blood. Thus, Securing and everybody read that next word with me. Not annual. Not annual. Eternal redemption. Because let's face it, if we had to come back every year to have a, isn't it true that five minutes after you leave here, you might curse at somebody crossing the street, you might yell at your husband, you might act out in ways that you don't want to, you might tell your boss, you know, to take this job and shove it, you might sin in some way, and then you'd have to come back next year. And then you'd have to come back next year. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. A different kind of tabernacle. A different kind of sacrifice that looks awfully similar to the ones that were sacrificed. Let me tell you a bit of history. You're going to like this. This is going to rock your world, honestly. We have in history books, this is not found in the Bible. This is not even found by Christians. This is by Jewish people. Jewish people who rejected Jesus as the Messiah wrote what I'm about to tell you. Right now. In the Mishnah. Does everybody understand that this is not a Christian source? This does not come from a Christian book. The Mishnah is one of the earliest Jewish writings. That we have. The Mishnah said that about 40 years before the temple was destroyed. Listen. the, The rope, the sash, the red stopped turning white. Forty years, forty years before the temple was destroyed, the red sash stopped turning white. The temple was destroyed at about 70 A.D. You're going to love this. Jesus was crucified somewhere Around 30 A.D. So somewhere, sometime after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the system stopped working. 
The religious habits, the, the having to jump through hoops, the not being in right standing with God, the ho- waiting and hoping for Yom Kippur had already happened on an eternal and a universal way. And the system stopped working. Because there was one who was greater than the earthly priest, was a higher priest than the highest of high priests who allowed the sins of the world to go on him and to be slain. But he didn't just stop at being slain. He allowed himself to be the Azazel. And 40 years after that, it's the rituals, the hoops, they stopped working. Because they never were meant to go on forever. They were only meant to be a picture of the one who would come and listen to me, not only forgive you of your sins, but be your Azazel. It's the Jesus I never knew. I want you to be able to see Jesus in the temple. I want you to be able to see Jesus as the perfect sacrifice. I want you to be able to see Jesus the way you've never seen him before. Now, how does this apply to your life? Listen to me. If you don't know Jesus, you need an Azazel. If you don't know Jesus, like if you're just playing games with God, right? Like, you know, let me, there's a couple of reasons why people go to church, right? Because they've really blown it really bad and they feel really guilty and, you know, they come to church, right? And they do that for a couple of weeks, they feel better and then they go. There's another reason is if, like, your boyfriend or your girlfriend invites you, right? And you just, you know, who cares? I don't want... I don't want them to nag me anymore so they keep coming and whatever that is, right? There's, you know, there's other things because you think it's a religious service that you have to kind of do and all that other stuff. But listen, we get to come here and celebrate the fact that Jesus is our Azazel. You know how that, what that means for you? That means that your shame and your guilt and the things that you no longer, no longer are here. If you've received Jesus Christ for those who call themselves in the family of God, you can walk with... Listen, the next time, the next time Satan says, Ah, but you remember what you did. I, here's all I want you to say. Ah, za, za. I don't see no Azazel here, do you? Next time your spouse reminds you, and listen, I'm not talking about using this as a weapon. I'm not talking about, you know, sinning and, um, you know, being a sinful person and then, you know, really cursing your family and then expecting them to, oh, you know, you get consequences for your sin. They're, they're, I'm, not taking, I'm not talking about that. You, there are con- natural consequences. I jump off the roof, I break a couple of legs, natural consequences, right? Like, you know, I can't go in the middle of the jump, you know, like that won't work, right? But the next time, the next time you're having an argument with your spouse and they don't get hysterical, but they get historical, in your heart, you go, Azazel. Listen. When you're going for that new job, and you think that you can, because you know you blew it and blah, 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 and you stole that last time, and nobody can trust you, and blah, blah, blah. I want you in your heart, as you're filling out the application, I want you in the corner, bottom right. Azazel. Write it tiny. So you could be reminded. Listen. Listen. The next time you feel like you can't pray because of what you've just done, I want you to tell Satan, Azazel, he is Jesus 
shame remover. He is Jesus' guilt offering. He's our propitiation and our expiation. And we have a Yom Kippur, not for a day or for a year, but for eternity. A redemption that only comes from Him. Jesus is our Azazel. And my prayer is that you would know Him as such. Now, if you don't know Jesus, there's these beautiful yellow cards in front of you. And I just want you to, as you fill out as much, and if you're new here for the first time, take everybody take out a card. If you're here for the first time, I just want you to fill out as much information as you feel comfortable with. Just fill out as much information as you feel comfortable with. I promise we won't get you for money. We won't, we won't do any of that stuff. What we will do, what we will do is try to bless you. We'll inform you of new series going on. We just, it's information. It's information and it's a way that we can help you, you know, so that if we know, you know, we can, we can offer services that you might need and so forth. Okay. So now, um, I want you to take that yellow card. Listen, if you're here and you've been carrying around a load of junk and a load of sin, I'm going to give you a few moments where I want you to just pray and I want you to pray for those things that come up in your mind. You know, the thing that you did to your husband three weeks ago, the thing that you did to your wife three years ago, right? I want you to think of that. And if you're in Christ, I just want you to pray, oh God, can it be true? Can you really be my Azazel? My Azazel? Can it? Listen, I want you to pray that over and over. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to surrender. Be surrendered. And I want you to surrender your life to Jesus. Say, listen, I deserve hell. Sin is an easy... Forgiveness is the issue. Forgiveness is the problem. Sin, there's an easy solution for sin. You know what it is? Hell. It's an easy solution for sin. You know what's really hard? Heaven. Forgiveness. And we have an ah za and so I want to give you a couple. I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. Just 30 seconds. Nobody moving around. It's a holy moment. They stayed for 10 days in introspection. Surely we can do for a few minutes. And I just want you to seek the Lord. And ask the Lord. Is there, are you walking around with junk and funk? Is there stuff in your heart that you haven't? And if you're here. Listen. If you're here and you say. I know God has forgiven me. But I can't forgive me. Listen to me. You are so arrogant who's greater you or God who knows more you or God and if God forgives it don't you contradict him if God forgives it don't you put yourself above God people who say God I know God has forgiven me but I can't forgive me what they're really saying is I'm God listen don't you be God in your life if he forgives it it's forgiven listen Azazel. Azazel. So I want you to, I'm going to give you a moment to pray and then I'm going to come back and pray for you.